In the shadow of the most powerful city in the world, the Capital Golf Gang is on the air with instructor John Ronis from the Ronis Academy at River Creek, executive director of the Middle Atlantic PGA, John Gould, and former University of Maryland golfer, Ron Thomas. And now your host from Afternoon Drive on the Team 980 Radio in Washington, D.C., Steve Zabin. It is a remote edition of the Capital Golf Gang this week, presented by Golfdom, and it's my pleasure to welcome on, one by one, my three golf amigos, starting with the director of golf at River Creek in Leesburg, Mr. John Ronas. John, how are you today? I am spectacular in this sweltering Northern Virginia heat. Ah, yes, indeed. Welcome to the dead of summer, my friend. So we start this week at the old course. By the time... People hear this show, the Scottish Open will be underway, it'll be over soon, and then next week it's off to the home of golf for the 150th edition of the Open Championship, and they're making a big deal of it, and rightfully so. You've played the old course, I've played the old course. What is the importance of the old course to the game of golf? Well, it's the home of golf, and... Um, all the history and, and, you know, when we played it, we're just mere hackers out there, but boy, the goosebumps were pretty prevalent on a few of those holes. You know, I think you're probably in the same boat as I am. I can't remember almost any of the holes except for like one 17 and, and 18. 18. <laughs> you're on you, the face of the moon. Were you nervous on one? Many people talk about I, how I, nervous I, they are I for a tee shot then, but- that is wide open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't too nervous because I could actually play golf back then. So the hundred yard fairway was pretty in- inviting to me. Um, but shoot, when you get over, you know, when you get seventeen, and and then you get close to that bridge and you see that you're about to walk over that bridge on eighteen and the history involved in that, and you know, you know, you're going to take a picture and everything else. It, it's it makes you think real hard. Like, boy, what a lucky life to be able to even get the opportunity to come over here and and enjoy this great game of golf. What do you mean, take, what do you mean take a picture? You're going to take right, 80, 87 pictures right, on the right. Swilkin Bridge where literally every legend of the game since probably Bobby Jones has stopped to pose for a photograph, since modern photography actually became a thing. Think yeah. about that. Yeah. There's not a player of consequence in the game of golf who has not stopped to pose at least one last time on what he knew to be his last go-round at the Open. Which, we'll get into it, which I think is one of the reasons why they have to keep on keeping this in the Rota. Well, it's on a five-year rotation, which is a heavy rotation. Five years, five years, five years. And I agree with that. But the game is, is, is passing it by. That's a whole separate issue right there. Because yeah. today's game can, if the weather lays down, simply overpower this course. Yeah, I, I, the time that I played it, uh, I think it was October, and we had one of those days that, you know, it was pretty decent, little sunshine and no wind. And I swear, walking off that golf course, uh, I mean, I, I shot a good score there. And I was like, boy, this was, this was very easy. Very easy. <laughs> it's very short. Um, and so by today's standards, yes, 
Yeah. So I was thinking, boy, they could just tear this up. But they've been fortunate where the last few there has been at least a couple of days where it's blown really hard or, or rained or something. So it's just it's so interesting to see if they get four days of nothing. Um, you know, you're looking at probably close to 20 under par. Yeah. The old course is due again in 2026. So that'll be on the five year plan. And then it's not yet scheduled for after that because I think they stopped at 30. So okay. that they haven't gone as far out as the USGA has done. But I believe they have said, we want this course in the Rota every five years as the home of golf. Having played the old course, do you feel like at times people wax too poetic about it? That they imply that it, everything about it is the greatest thing ever? And mm -hmm. could the old course be a little bit, and I just mean a little bit, overhyped? As a lot. A lot. Okay. A lot. <laughs> I mean, it is, again, the history of it makes you constantly think about what has taken place on those grounds. It's Fenway Park to me. You know, right. you walk into Fenway Park, it's a dump. But the fact is that that's what the old course is. Um, the history, though, overshadows all of that so much that you can't help but say, you know, this is great and this is great. But overall, you know, it's like I said, it's a non-memorable golf course. It wouldn't be in my top hundred uh, if I was to rate it as a golf course. But, you know, there's there's something special about about the the history of it. I've played it twice. And if you asked me to draw a basic drawing of each hole, I don't know how well I would do. <laughs> I'm not even I, sure I'd get all the holes in sequence correct. I couldn't even come close. I can <laughs> hardly tell you what the second hole is. I know that it's one par hole, one five, par I think. Gets taken Either off two or three is a par five that's reachable depending on the wind. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know one hole, we had one of our guys hit a seagull um, on a par three. That's the only <laughs> other hole that I can even vaguely remember. Other than that, it's hitting over the, the pub and walking up 18 and standing on the first tee and, and seeing that fairway. It's other than that, I really I can't tell you any holes. Yeah, don't get me wrong; it's a magical place. It's awesome. I'm going back there next June with another group of guys. It's going to be awesome. But certain things about it, you're like, oh, really? For example, you want to warm up on the driving range? That's mm -hmm. a bus ride all yeah. the way down past you know the 15th hole or something like that. Oh, you want to go in the RNA clubhouse? No, you cannot. Like right. literally. The RNA has not even carved out, and I think this is a huge mistake, at least a visitor's level to sell trinkets, to sell something, to see some artifacts. How can yeah. you have the home of golf, this giant, hulking, gray granite edifice, and have it locked tight on all four sides? Right. I mean, they can make it Graceland, right? Yes. You know, you go and see Elvis's house. You can't see every room. You know, you can't see the bathroom where he fell off the pot and died. But the fact is, you can go into Elvis's house and look at it. And that's what the RNA has to be, because it's the home of golf. And you got to let people in and rope it off. You know, what's the big deal? How about if you this? How about, and, yeah. How about this? Fine. For anyone who is playing the old course that day, as they keep you over in the side pen where there's a little putting green inside a rectangular fenced off area and the tiny starter shack, when it's your turn, you get led up through the clubhouse through a special passageway only for those who are playing the course and awesome. then out onto the first tee down the steps that lead to the first tee. 
How cool. Genius idea. Yeah. I think you should be in charge of marketing for the RNA. I, I think I should be. That'd be great. The other thing about the old course is, you know, Scott Hoke once called it, quote, the worst piece of mess I've ever seen, unquote. Because Scott Hoke is an yeah. easy target, people blasted him for it. It doesn't mean he's entirely wrong because the course used to be played the other direction, clockwise. Mm. And so, therefore, most of the holes coming in have bunkers tilted the wrong way that you literally cannot see because yes. the course was going the other way. It's like planes, trains, and automobiles. You're going the wrong way. Well, that right. was 200 years ago. Relax. Right. And and then then there were people who architects who actually took that into the modern architects. Like, oh, you don't, you shouldn't see the bunkers. If you're a member, <laughs> you know where they are. Because the old course had it. Well, the old course had it by accident. Yeah. It's very strange. It's, it's still great, though. It, Daddy tells you where to hit it. It's very weird. Yeah. The massive grandstands along 18 and being right in the town. There's nothing like it. And uh, it's going to be a special open for sure, and especially because Tiger is going to play. He's there this week at the uh, J.P. McManus uh, tuning up for this thing. It's a flat enough walk that his knee or his leg should hold up okay, we think. Yep. And with all that's going on with the live tour now and the game itself, this is like going to be the most important major in the last 20, 30 years. I totally agree with that sentiment. It is very, very important. And, and boy, wouldn't it be great if Tiger was in the mix just simply because he is he was the first to stand up and got offered the most money to say, you know what? I'm not. Yeah. And and I need them to the Scottish Open was cool that they came through and said these guys can't play. And I need the RNA to, to really step up and say that as well. That they cannot play or they can play. That live cannot uh, not they this one yeah. they can play. Going yeah, well, the forward. The Scottish, yeah, the Scottish Open lost in court this week on oh, that did. issue. Yeah, they did because Poulter and a couple other guys sued, and I mm. believe the first court ruling went in favor of the players. So I have not heard as of you know we taped tape this on a Wednesday. I've not heard if they're actually going to play in the event or not. It's okay. just that they they did win the first round in court. We shall see. It's going to be a long battle on that front. All right, let's get to uh, the first three holes of this week's quick nine. And we'll take our leisurely pace because it's just you and I on the first three holes. All right? Perfect. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Hole number one. This is a personal golf question. What's worse, snap hooking or slicing your first tee shot out of bounds to start your round or missing a short little putt for a great score on 18. Zabe asked this question of me. The driver is, to me, I should be institutionalized of how I stand <laughs> over a driver every single hole. So I'm petrified to begin with. I'm a pro. This guy's supposed to be good. And then I never duck hook a ball, but I can slice a ball certainly into the out of bounds. At least you made that one stroke on the 18th and yeah you didn't shoot 68 you shot 69 but the embarrassment factor and what it could do to the rest of the round by hitting that bet one-on-one -on -one, uh, uh i can't have that yeah it's so funny the psychology of golf because i did both things in the span of three days last week playing maryland national with my boy one account Rhodes and his uh his cronies up there the first tee there's a big hill of gunch that's not out of bounds but it's basically lost ball off of number one and there is 
oodles of space to the right, but it's a cowardly space to the right. Right. And I snap hooked one so bad, hadn't hit a single snap hook at all on the range leading up to the first shot. And I go, why did you just do that? Yeah, where does it even come from? Where does that come from? That absolute fear of just don't hit one over there. Just don't hit one over there. Just don't hit one over there. Then on Saturday, I had one of the best rounds in the last 10 years or so. Good. And I had a birdie putt on 18 for a 72. And I, and I ran it. I ran it almost in the hole, right past the hole. Had my putter raised prematurely. It settles two, two and a half feet behind. And I panicked because I didn't want to sit there and stare at a two-footer yep. for the next five minutes waiting for everybody else. And I go up and I think, just brush it in. It's a nothing yeah. putt. And I gacked it. Cool little 74. Gacked it. At the worst. That's I hate shame. both of those things. That's a shame. I think I think missing a short putt at the end is worse. Because you know so many times I've been like, I just want to make this putt. It could be for a 74 or an 81 or whatever your good score is. When you miss that last putt. Oh. See, being a good putter, that would separate from my mind quickly. But the next time I go to tee up on the first hole, I'm going to be thinking about that drive for the next 10 rounds. Okay. Hole number two, quick nine. What shot makes more sense to practice for an amateur? The 60-degree flop shot, if you have a 60-degree wedge, or the hybrid runner, if you like to sort of chip it and run it from shortly mown areas around the green? It's a good question, but the you know the more utility value and the more usable shot is that sixty degree. I mean, you should you should you should learn how to hit a quasi flop shot, meaning by shape. With that, it doesn't need to be the full swing, wide open club face flop shot. But there's ways to hit a nice high shot that stops. It's just more often that you're going to find yourself in that situation if you're a decent player and you can get it close to pin high. You're more behind others. If you're someone who hits it short by miss hits a lot then you'd want to run it up. Now, running it up with a hybrid, I would say learn how to run it up with like a seven iron or an eight iron. But I still think that 60 is something that you're going to use. If you hit nine greens, you're going to use it seven of those nine chips. Mm -hmm. I think to really master that. Yeah, the hybrid runner, it's really crafty for those that know how to do it. But you got to put the time in on it. And you kind of have to play somewhere, a course, your home course, where you get a lot of those shots or overseas where you're going to get more of those chances american golf thick lush meaty rough you're not going to hit too many of those all the time yeah, and the course has to be in good shape to run in balls you know from 30 yards in front otherwise it's divot heaven yep all right uh hole number three quick nine if you gary player and jack nicholas were say at a bar until 3 a.m and you were deep into the wine and you were arguing about all kinds of things in the game of golf. Who do you think you would stumble home thinking, wow, I can't believe it, but I actually agreed a lot more with blank. Jack or Gary? I'm a Jack. I'm a Jack guy. So uh, Gary just gets out there sometimes. You know, again, <laughs> we'd get lost in the water, the water. and the trees. <laughs> And everything else that, you know, and, and doing 2,000 sit-ups. And Nicholas would just get up there and say, well, hey, you just got to hit the ball. Yeah, hit come hard. on. Come on, Gary. You, you know that's not true. Come on now. Yeah. 
So I think I would probably agree more with Jack, but I would be thinking about Gary the entire ride home because I'm like, wow, this guy is virtually completely out of his mind. <laughs> he is unique. He's a beauty. Right. I. I would love to be part of such a conversation. Oh, it would be amazing. Now, I will say that being fortunate enough to hear at Bay Hill, we, we went to Bay Hill almost every year when I was at Woodmont, and Arnold Palmer was still alive. And I was fortunate to get into the locker room with him and his cronies and sit sit down as they were having a couple cocktails. Listening to those conversations were quite amazing, too, because it would eventually turn into, ah, that guy was a son of a gun and blah, blah, blah. It was some really cool stuff to listen to. And I just sat back as a fly on the wall. But I'm sure those guys would have some great stories to tell behind the curtain. Yeah. All right. We got five minutes of post-quick nine, three-hole range time for you, my friend. What's on your mind this week? You know, I'm really – I'm hoping for a British – an open championship that gets people excited about the game again. And um, so I'm hoping for some star power. I'm hoping that we get a little bit of weather out there. And I'm hoping that none of the live guys perform well. <laughs> and that's, that's the biggest thing that I'm hoping for because, you know, we're, in a, we're not in the best place right now as far as everything else in the world. So we need golf to, to kind of be that ray of light. And so I'm hoping that things work out nicely and people can get excited and, and motivated and, and f- have some fun playing golf because uh, some great stuff happened at the Open Championship being being the last major. Yeah, that would be nice. I wonder what it would mean if one of the live guys were to win. Devastating. Really be bad, huh? Devastating. Did, did you see that Rory has softened his stance on Saudi involvement in sports and said there needs to be some sort of truce between the tours? Our well, guy. We there's love a, our guy, but man, he's going soft on us, Johnny. Uh, he won't, but there's, it's because it's an unanswerable question. When you start getting constantly told, you know, well, why not golf if they're in the premier league and, you know, that's what dunk. Rory said. He said, if they're willing to invest billions into the game, that can be a good thing. He says billions into the game, but not billions into just individuals who are, who are now just pariahs. I yeah. looked up, you know, I looked this up, Zabe. I looked up the uh, the, the five deadly sins or something in the Bible. Yes, greed, and sloth, like, gluttony, uh, vanity. Like, am I missing like pride, one? But pride. Three, the five: greed, lust, gluttony. That just basically. Boy, it's seven deadly sins, not five. Oh, seven. <laughs> no, five, you missed seven, two. They're seven, lust. Seven. Ready? Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy. Yeah. And pride. Okay. So gluttony, wrath to the PGA Tour, uh, lust, or probably not lust, but it's a power, right? And it's greed, greed. And so that's that's lending itself in that direction if you want to kind of compartmentalize it. But that's what the Saudis are preying on. And and a lot of, you know, uh, foreign powers have preyed on those temptations. Right. And they're winning in this regard. They're not giving anything back to charity. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. They are preying on those temptations, uh, basically money. And so, again, I don't I don't blame guys for going over there and setting up their families. But this is what the Saudis are doing. Yeah. All right. Very good. Mr. Ronis, uh, back to your uh, multifaceted duties as director of golf and still a bona fide, certified, excellent teaching instructor at River Creek, my friend. We'll talk to you next week.
Love it, Dave. You are listening to The Capital Golf Gang, Washington, D.C.'s radio golf authority for over 15 years. Listening to the Capital Golf Gang, four guys who still don't know the difference between red stakes, yellow stakes, and white stakes, except they're all bad. Welcome back, segment two this week of our remote edition of the Capital Golf Gang, presented by Golfdom, and we welcome on Executive Director of the Middle Atlantic PGA, John Gould. Good evening, Mr. Gould. How are you? I am well. Good to see you, Zabe. Good. I am just soaking up all of these appetizers for the upcoming Open Championship. I did watch a good chunk of the J.P. McManus Charity Pro-Am, which is a whole fascinating thing that he was able to get such high-level stars to sign on to this, you know, to raise a ton of money because that's a pricey Pro-Am to get into. And, and the, they must have got approved, right? They got they signed releases for all this. So I would I would guess so. Yes, I would assume they'd got releases from the PGA Tour, and it's at Adair Manor in Ireland, which is spectacular, and it's going to host the Ryder Cup coming Correct. up. I forget what year. What year is that? I think it's four years from uh, this year or next year, because next year's Italy. Okay. Right. Yeah. And then four years from that. Yeah. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be spectacular, and I'm just watching tonight. Some of the Open Championship produced hour-long pieces on 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 Golf Channel of past opens, like I just saw right. the Daily and Constantino Roca Open oh, Championship. Oh, the Valley of Sin. Yeah, <laughs> you know I had forgotten that he had totally duffed his chip to yeah. get in there, and then he makes that putt. I'd just forgotten that element. I was like, yeah, Roca, he hits it up into the Valley of Sin, makes a long putt for birdie. No one can believe it. They go to a playoff. Oh, that's right. He chubbed it in there. <laughs> Golf is such a cruel game. Okay, it let's is. let's get to some of the stories of the week. Did you see what uh, one Billy Horschel had to say? Finally fed up with all the belly aching from some of the tour pros who left for the LIV, pointing out, hey, you don't have to play more than 15 events on the PGA Tour. So all of this whining from the Pat Perez is about, I missed the birth of my son, when he was playing 33 events a year, that's on you. That's not on the tour. What'd you make of that? Yeah, I thought, you know, he asked for honesty. I think we finally got some honesty from him, at least, uh, in, in terms of he also said something to the effect of, hey, when you guys badmouth the tour or badmouth uh, or sue the tour, you're, you're, you're badmouthing me and you're suing me because we are the tour. Those we're, we're in a, uh, you know, even though we're independent contractors, we're, you know, what do you, I don't know what you want to call it, an association right. of tour, tour pros. And therefore, when you, when you, when you lie about us or when you talk trash about us, you know, you're talking trash about me. And I, I think the the best point he said is, Hey, you can have your tour. I, I don't care. I'm not going to feel bad about you. Just don't try to play both. That's Just a- don't try to, you know, go take all the money over there and then say, Oh yeah, I want to go back to my local tour where, which supports me and provides has provided all this retirement and all this other stuff. Right. I think what Horschel also made a good point about was that, Hey, we are an association of some 200 members. And so therefore you're not going to get everyone on the same page about everything. And so when tour players say the tour doesn't listen to us, I think it's sometimes like in a 
marital argument where one of the spouses says, you're not listening to me, when what they really mean is you're not agreeing with me. <laughs> I'm not getting my way, so I'm going to say right. you're not listening. Oh, no, I'm listening. I just don't agree. And, and I haven't been around tour players as much, but I've been around players a lot, and usually what their version of listening is, I want to play for more and I want to do less for it. And then the association, right. those administrators like me say, yeah, we can't quite do that. You're going to have to either do more or to, to play to get more, to earn more money. Or if you do less, then you're going to earn less. And that's just the, the realities that most of us are faced with, unless you go over that other tour that has unlimited funds and just tosses money around. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I've always been a Horschel fan, even though he runs hot at times. And I'm but more of a Horschel. The... That's part of the package, right? That Correct. you get with him. But I'm more of a fan now. So if he goes to the live tour, I'll be totally crushed. Please don't do that. <laughs> Correct. Um, speaking of tour pros and always wanting to have their cake and to eat it too, and to get more cake after that because they just pushed the limits. There was a ruling that went against a guy at the John Deere this week, and I forget which tour pro it was, but it involved his ball that he hit into the woods. It landed in the crook of a tree, and he tried to argue that it was a burrowing animal hole that he was entitled to relief from. Did you see that? I did not. Uh, but the burrowing animal part has come out of the rules, and it's just a, a hole made by an animal. Um, but, you know, all of those rules that are anything like that, you know, uh, uh, ground under repair type of things, you have to actually have a shot for us to give you relief. So a lot of that times you, you'll get a ball on the crook of a tree and the guy will have his heel on the cart path and say, oh, I, I get relief because my heel's on the cart path. And our answer is, no, the cart path, the obstruction in this case, or the burrowing animal hole in, in, the, in the case he was talking about, or the animal hole, that doesn't apply because there's no shot. Yeah. You know, we're not going to get you out of jail just because you had a technicality because, in my example, the heel was touching, or in his example, hey, there's a hole all the way in there, uh, never mind the wood you know, yeah. surrounding it. It was Dylan Fratelli, and it was hilarious because I believe PGA Tour Live caught the exchange. And boy, he wouldn't give it up. He said, so if that hole goes five feet under the tree and my ball's still five feet under the tree and I can't reach it, you still don't get relief? And the rules official said, that's correct because you can't make an argument that you might be able to play a shot. In other right. words, you were behind a tree in the crook of a tree. But I wish the rules official had said, but it's not five feet under the tree. So stop it with that. He then says, okay, so if you're in an anthill, and it's buried inside the anthill, you don't get relief from that? I would have said to the rules official, I would have said, but you're not in an anthill. I guess you're not allowed to do that as a rules official. you got to stay above board. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you don't want to antagonize the, yeah. the, uh, the player. I mean, it, yes, I, I would love to say that in some situations, <laughs> uh, but it's not worth it. It's just, hey, yeah. the, and, and a lot of times what we'll do is say, see this book? The rules say this, and that's all we're doing. We're just doing what the rules apply. It's not, it's not me personal antagonizing. Right. Yeah, it's not personal. This rule says this is what we do. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. If it was your competitor and you were trailing him, I wouldn't give him a break from this either. You know. So yeah, and that's where you can get personal, right? That's where well, you can get in his true. in his yeah. you know it was in his mind more, a little bit. It was one of the more ridiculous things, and he was like, "I think you're wrong." I'm going to call. He's like, call a supervisor. He's like, I'm going to play a second ball. He wouldn't let it go. And wow. I'm just like, bro, you, you hit one way into the woods. It's in the crook of a tree. Deal with it. I almost think that. So you say the burrowing rule has been removed. I think that anywhere you hit it, 
It should be a tough luck Charlie situation. It doesn't matter. It's golf. It's random. Stuff happens. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the original ten, right? You 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 play the ball as you find it. That was you know back to the eighteen hundreds. That was the intention, and then we've you know made exceptions along the way. Uh, embedded ball, for example, that's right. You know, it's pretty hard to play out of embedded ball, and then that's how the rules come about. Um, but yeah, it, but the fundamental here is you're not going to be able to create a technicality when you hit it in a bad spot. Yeah, you know, that's the, the fundamentals. There definitely are things that are uh, patently unfair that I think the rules do have to address. So, so there's that. Okay, yeah. uh, moving right along. Uh, are you excited for the Open Championship at the home of golf, St. Andrews? Oh, always. And and I've uh, I think I've told you the story personally, but uh, on the show, I, I play one of my best rounds ever at St. Andrews. Um, into the wind on the front, kind of. Uh, struggled, but but uh, you know played around even par, and then I dunked one for an eagle and reached a par five downwind, or reached drove a par four downwind, reached a par five. One of the best rounds of my life. So I always have a soft spot in my right. in my uh, heart for for the home of golf at St Andrews. How influential is the RNA versus say the USGA versus say the PGA of America? Your organization are they fairly equal when it comes to punching their weight? in the game of golf, or is there a pecking order? Well, uh, I think it depends on what part of the golf arena we're talking about. Certainly in the rules, it's USGA and RNA only. They, okay. they, they quote-unquote, listen to input from the PGA, but in the end, it's USGA and RNA. And if you really think about it, USGA is United States, I think North America, actually. RNA is the entire rest of the world. Uh, so a lot of times when they're having those, and these you know quadrennial for every four-year rules changes – are generally negotiations between the USGA and RNA. You know, we'll do this if you do that. You know, one of the rules that changed last time was the embedded ball rule being basically in play all the time unless you don't make it uh, part of the local rules. Um, and so things like that happen. So I, I would say in the, those two, they're fairly equal. And then when it comes to the business of golf, that's where the PGA has a little bit more weight because obviously the, the PGA professionals are 28,000 in, in the United States plus the, you know, the ones in, in different parts of the world. They're the ones running the, the business, running the golf courses. Uh, so that's probably where we have more influence. Um, and then, you know, surprisingly, what you did mention, of course, is the PGA Tour, right? That's they don't true. own any of the majors. Right. Uh, and... Um, and Augusta National is probably a, a fifth association you probably got to throw in there just because of the money and their, yeah. uh, you know, contributions to golf and, and running the Masters. Um, so I, I think it just it depends on the subject matter. Rules is certainly, you know, amateur status, obviously, certainly USGA, RNA. Uh, business of golf, um, some of the other things, drive, chip, and putt, you know, I would say that's all Augusta National and the PGA of America with a little contribution from the USGA. You know, so... They all have their roles. Let's yeah, just put it that way. Fair enough. They're sort of like the uh, the five families in the office that owned uh, businesses in and around. That, uh, that's Dunder what Mifflin. Jeff Shackelford calls them—the five families. The, uh, the five yeah, families. and we're, we're not. And I, I obviously left out and not intentionally, but LPGA from the women's side. Sure. Um, you know, superintendents, owners' association, all all, all make great contributions to yeah. golf. Okay. Uh, one more before we get to your quick nine holes. This is sort of a random one, but somebody asked me about this. They're like, Zabe, you play a lot of really nice private courses. How do you do it? And I said, well, I'm lucky enough to have some friends that belong. But I thought I'd ask you, being the executive director of the Middle Atlantic PGA, what is the best way to get on a private club 
in the Mid-Atlantic when you are not a member, aside from perhaps having a friend? Are there uh, honorable above-board techniques you can do to try to find your way onto one? Yeah, you know what I would say is almost every, not all, but almost every private club, and I'm talking nice private clubs, have charity outings. So what a nice way to uh, get on one of those nice golf courses and also help out a great cause and, and play in their charity outings on Mondays. Um, well, usually on Mondays, I guess I should clarify right. that. But um, that's probably the best way. Obviously, to your point, you know, you have friends. Uh, joining another club sometimes will help you get on a different club. Uh, um, How about qualifiers you know, for competitive events? Are those sometimes held on private clubs? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Woodmont has, you know, uh, Woodmont Country Club is one of the nicest uh, in the in the DC area, and that's how they've held a U.S. Open sectional uh, qualifying every year. Now that's you step be pretty two, good so you got to get get through level one, <laughs> right? Uh, and but yeah, so um, and State Golf Association, uh, Maryland State, Virginia State, in our area, uh, they will host qualifiers for the state opens and the state amateurs at some nice clubs. Uh, I wouldn't recommend, you know, trying to do that when you shoot 90, you know, this no. is going to be not going to be fun for anybody. Right. Um, but you know, I, I think the, probably the best safest way is the, is the charity, uh, you know, events, because it doesn't matter what you shoot. You can have fun. You can have something to drink, something to eat and play an awesome golf course. And you should play with as many people and meet as many people as you can. Cause you never know. When that's the run, best thing. That's when, where that's how you know. To your point, Zabe, where you play because you have friends at different clubs. That's where that starts. You know, you play with somebody in a charity outing. They say, "Hey, you should come over to my club," and they invite you over, and you play there, and you meet some other people, and yeah, it's uh, it's networking at its best. Golf networking uh, yeah. in this case. You never know where an invite's coming from. I'll never forget in California, just out of college, we played golf with uh, an older guy and someone else, a really bad hacker, and an older guy who insisted on giving him lessons as he was struggling to shoot a hundred and a million, whatever the number was. Now I was starting to get frustrated because the round was getting a little bit pokey, but I resisted blasting this older guy, you know, from giving these lessons. Well, it turns out things kind of simmered down and we started talking. And by the end of the round found out that he was a former pro at LA country club who was oh. playing at this public course up in San Luis Obispo where we were at. And, I guess we had done nice enough with him that he kind of took a shine to us. And I said, ooh, LACC, I hear that's really exotic and not many people get to play. And he goes, oh, I can get you on there. Give me a call. Let me know when you want to do it. And so knowing me, if you're going to say give me a call, I will give you a call. <laughs> me and my true. buddy got on LACC for a guy I was maybe one hole away from going nuclear on saying, stop giving this hacker lessons. <laughs> so you never well, know. I'm your restraint paid off. Love for once. Hear. For once it paid off. All right, time for a quick nine. Here's your three holes, Mr. Ghoul. Hole number four. Will you drink water from a simple bubbler, as they call them here in the Midwest, or a fountain, as we say in the East, that's on a cheap muni in the middle of the course, just coming up out of the ground? It's a fountain. It's got water. It'll probably taste like metal like you remember as a kid coming from the hose will you drink it well you just stole my words absolutely i i, I grew up drinking right out of the hose uh you let it run for a little bit to get let it cool off a little bit Good old hose uh, and, water, and, right? and it never hurt me so i probably have an iron stomach already 
uh, because of that. And, and if I need water, I'm drinking it. You know, I'm not going to drink it from a shallow pool on the ground, but I will drink it from a, from a bubbler for sure. I can taste that sort of metallic tinge to that yep. water from fountains. And it's just brings you back to your youth. As absolutely. long as the water's cold, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have warm water on a hot day, but if that water's cold coming out of that bubbler, no problem. Right. right. And, and depending on the level, of course, it goes up in steps. So the cheapest places, the munis, it'll just have a fountain out in the middle. Maybe someplace nicer will have some Coleman coolers, which may or may not be cold in the triangular, very cheap cups. The nicer courses yeah. will have nicer coolers with cups with bottoms on them. Then you might have a refrigerated water fountain at a little station. With a with, little ice machine, with too. With a little ice machine. And then the best courses have coolers packed with ice. I mean, packed with fresh ice. And bottle after bottle after bottle, bottle of Correct. fresh water. Yeah, I played TPC Potomac today, and it was bottle after bottle of <laughs> bottled water. Right, so exactly. Splendid. Or some places have like a halfway house or maybe even two halfway houses, which doesn't make sense, but you get my point, that will have a refrigerator like a 7-Eleven with multiple drinks in it. Right, and you multiple just sign it flavors. out. You sign it out, or or they just assume you're a member. They like, just take whatever you need. Candy yeah. bars, snacks. Oh, boy, how the rich live. All right, whole number Five, would you rather have too much sand in bunkers or too little sand in bunkers? Well, this is certainly for me and my skill level, which is not as high as uh, our, our fellow uh, guys on the show, but uh, I'd rather have too little because I can always control it if it's either bare or, or slightly bare. Uh, where I have trouble is when it's really thick and mm -hmm. soft and my feet sink in, mm -hmm. uh, and you know I'm I'm very susceptible to digging in and hitting a, a chunked uh, bunker shot. Uh, so, you know, I actually prefer actually, and for my, for me, and once my once again my lower skill level is a wet packed bunker after the rain. For some nice. reason, I can really hit the ball well. I can spin it well uh, around the green and in the fairway uh, shots. I I don't I don't chunk them i can i can hit it out you know almost as far as i can hit from the from the fairway yeah the other day i had one in a very bare bunker and it came out just boom bounced right out and i'm like wow that was weird because i'm of all the things i do poorly the one thing i do pretty well is bunkers and i was like i don't normally hit that shot and then i realized just how little sand was in there and i'm wondering is it now legal to take practice swings in the sand no, no, no. We can take practice swings in the in the what we call the the red penalty areas or the yellow penalty areas, but not in that, the bunker. Not in the bunker. Okay. What about touching your club in the bunker? Still illegal? No. You, well, it depends on your intent. Uh, you're okay. leaning on your club. You're you're you fall and your clubs hit. That's all okay. You can't test the surface, so you can't like dig it and wiggle around with your club and say, "Is this is right. this thick or is this thin?" But in uh, taking your stance, you can get a good feel if you're legally taking yeah, your you stance about, okay, what do I yeah, got in here? your feet will figure it out that you don't need to do a practice swing to, to figure out the same thing. All right, final, final question. Would you trade every away round for an entire year to play one 18-hole round at any course in the country of your choosing this side of, say, Augusta National or Pine Valley? So, in other words, you forfeit every other away round for a whole year, home course, and you get one – 18-hole round at somewhere you choose. Would you take that deal? That's a good question. It's, obviously, it's going to depend on what course that is. If you would have said Augusta National, I would have said yes. <laughs> that, that's why I took uh, it out of the mix. <laughs> right, right. 
it's a steep price. You'd get very bored. You're like, hey, you want to come play my play? I can't. I traded all these away for one round at Shinnecock. It was great, right. but I shot 105. Yeah, I, I probably, I mean, there are some, you know, we, we only took out two out of the equation, and there's probably a dozen that are in that category. So I'm going to say no, I'm not, well, shoot. <laughs> You're having trouble it, now. Yeah, the answer is it depends, but I'm going to I'm gonna say no. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna keep all those away rounds because I might be able to play some of those courses as my away rounds, too. Yeah, that's true. Very good point. All right, Mr. Gold, always a pleasure. We appreciate your time. Anything to announce about the Mid-Atlantic region? Uh, I would just, I think I said it last week, but this is state open time. So next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, is the Maryland Open. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is the uh, Virginia Open, which will actually be on TV this year. Nice. Uh, Channel, Channel 6 down in, uh, in Richmond and, and some other areas of the state. Uh, so looking forward to that. I'll be at both uh, next week. So it'll be a busy week. And uh, our pros are out there busting their butts in, uh, in the heat. And uh, just want to thank them for all they do for, for our golfers in our game. Good stuff. All right, John, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. You're welcome. You are listening to The Capital Golf Gang, Washington, D.C.'s radio golf authority for over 15 years. to the public courses now. I can't. I won't. I mean, you know what that's like? It's crowded. The grass has big brown patches in it. They don't rake the sand traps. Not to mention the caliber of people you have to play with. Our final segment this week of the Capital Golf Gang, presented by Golf Dome, a virtual edition this week as we get ready for next week's Open Championship. Ron Thomas joins us now. Good morning, Ronnie. How are you today? I'm great, Steve. Great to hear from you and great to be on. Exciting time. It is exciting times. You and I got to experience the old course together. It's one of my absolute top 10 golf highlights of my entire life. I want to know from you, what was most magical, surprising, or maybe even a touch disappointing about the old course at St. Andrews to you? Well, first I'll say there was nothing disappointing about it. Um, you have high expectations going in, uh, being a little boy, as you and I mm-hmm. both have talked about, watching this tournament religiously and just soaking it all in, getting up early and listening to those famous announcers and and just really, you know, immersing yourself in it. Once you get there, the thing that was most surprising to me, Steve, was how it is crammed into the middle of the town. Yeah. <laughs> It's literally just <laughs> it's right there. It's right there. And it is, uh, it's closed at certain parts of the day because it then becomes Sunday. Sundays, place. they don't yeah. play golf at the old course. It's literally dogs and families walking all over the course. Yes, it is. Um, you know, so a, a moment that will always stick with me is when Ian Baker Finch pulled it out of bounds. So we <laughs> all talked about how impossible it would be to do that when you stand on that first tee and think that he hit it out bounds left because that was a, a moment that you know we can all remember i also uh another thing that was surprising about it is just how benign it can be if it's not blowing right um 
But if you recall, our round was rather benign until we got to, what, the 16th tee, maybe? Pretty much. On the final four holes, it came in, and it came in hard. And by the time (laughs) we got to 17, the famous road hole where you have to cut the corner on the old course hotel and the old railway shed, it was coming down sideways. You borrowed one of my non-water-repellent windbreakers, which was at least more than you had in your bag. And it was like True. the hardest tee shot I've ever hit in my life. Wind howling, rain pelting, and that corner cut over, you got to be really ambitious. It scared oh, me. Yeah. I know. And if I recall, you hit a good drive there. You it was okay. played well. You, you I played, played well that well. day. Yes. You did. I think you had somewhere around a 78 or 79, if I oh, recall. Oh, Ronnie, correctly. you're so good, man. You're so good remember stuff. <laughs> I think that was about the number. But, yeah, I, I, I kind of took a more cowardly way to the left because I just didn't have the balls to take the line. The caddy said, well, that's the line because a little bit to the right, and you're pelting people in the jigger in, although it was raining, so everyone was inside at least. They would have been somewhat safe. Of course, I'm not the first one to have hit it. It's going to be wonderful to watch it again and the – 150th edition of this incredible championship. It's just incredible stuff. Speaking of incredible stuff, did you see the Tiger exchange with John Rahm from the J.P. McManus Pro-Am where they were caught sort of on an off mic talking about the golf swing, just saying, you know, doing some nerdy stuff about spin rates and Tiger is asking Rahm questions and he is just earnestly listening to Rahm's answers about it. And Rahm was being patient taking his time and it was so cool to see that yeah i did it was um you know you had you asked you you sent me a question and you said would i like to be uh, or see or hear more about it and the the answer is absolutely just to be there and listen to two uh, number ones you know fly on the the wall greatest yeah the greatest ever play and then the current greatest without question in my you know i think but uh just to hear them talk. And I think what it shows more than anything is admiration for each other. You know, these guys are, they know that they're always on camera. They're always on stage. So this is part theatrics, of course, um, but it's genuine engagement and genuine uh, appreciation and admiration for one another. But at the same time, to reach the level of number one, to reach, to attain that level, that goal, you know, you have to be willing to listen. You have to be willing to learn. And uh, there's no question that beside the, besides the theater, it was also, you know, a desire to maybe catch a tidbit here or, or learn yeah. something. My so. first thought was, doesn't Tiger know everything there is <laughs> to know about the golf swing and spin rates and properties? And the answer is, yeah, but also not really. Because yeah. new generations come along, they do things a bit differently, they hit the ball a different shot shape or trajectory and curious players, curious minds, smart players, even legends like tiger want to ask those guys. So you do that. (laughs) Well, and part of that, part of that Steve may have also been because Rom, of course, used to be tigers tailor made partner. You know, they Mm -hmm. were teammates and now of course, Rom is with Callaway and who knows when, when tigers, uh, you know, when his contract may come up and maybe he's trying to learn a little bit about what he's getting out of the Callaway. Yeah, that's that's true as well. My second thought on that exchange was, wow, how wonderful is it that Tiger is now fully embracing his role as the the lion in winter, so to speak, as a respected, the most respected 
greatest champion of the modern era since Nicholas out there on one leg, thankful to still have that leg and doing the best he can, knowing he doesn't have much of a shot to win. That's yep. cool. And, and having the respect of younger players and being in the mix. This Tiger 3.0 is the best version yet. I'm happy for him. I agree. I will say that the one thing I wish he would not do uh, or stop doing is showing up at a tournament with the hat backwards, the sunglasses. And <laughs> because, you know, I just, it, I, when I see that, I immediately think I was watching with my son with Winston and I said, you know, Jack Nicholas, I just can't imagine him showing up with his. I know the times are different. I understand. But it's like he's still trying to be like, you know, 30 years old. Dude, you're 46. Turn the hat around. You're 46 with a receding hairline. And two kids who are going to be te- or teenagers almost. Come on, man. Yeah. yeah. Of course, he's getting out of his helicopter so, or a helicopter, so I shouldn't really bash him too much. I That's mean, a good You know, point. he's riding in style. Yeah. Hey, but, uh, what uh, makes for a great driving range? I think I was at maybe the best public all-purpose range ever in Wisconsin this week at uh, the Moreland Road Golf Center. It's a big-ass range with a big-ass Wisconsin cornfield for targets. Great target greens, good grass tees for a public range where people are literally in their white tank tops hitting balls. The balls were clean and nice, and they had like 24 covered bays that had heaters for the winter because you need in Wisconsin. They had garage doors that would close when the weather got bad. It started to rain, and I was in there. Ice cream for a dollar a scoop, a putt-putt course, and a couple of natural grass short game areas. I said, oh, and a bucket of balls, 75 balls, eight bucks. Yeah, well, that pretty much to me makes a perfect driving range. What a a great range, man. Well, what what you have there is you have an owner who cares. I mean, he could farm the land or he could you know, make a driving range out of it and run it properly. And people in the Midwest, you know, this is not an anomaly. There are a lot of wonderful driving ranges in the state of Indiana, my home state, where exactly as you described, the guy, you know, it could have been a farm, it could have been corn, or he made it a driving range. And if he was going to make it a driving range, he was he made it a good one. Practice areas, big open fields. Now, the only problem is sometimes we get a lot of wind that rolls through there. But right. You're asking me what makes a perfect driving range, and a perfect driving range to me is one that covers all the bases. You've got a short game area that's quality. Uh, You've got quality golf balls. You've got grass. You have to have a grass option. And I really like when I walk up to a driving range that is perfectly organized. Everything is asymmetrical. Um, You know, the bag stands, if they have bag stands, are lined up perfectly. And, uh, you know, they're inviting you to come out, and they are – your day is beginning off on the right foot, so to speak, because uh, you know you're or, it's organized. Everything's there for you to practice properly. Yeah, I love the fact too that when I was done, a father with his two boys, twelve, eight, something like that, had come and he plopped them down in two bays. Dad sat down in the chair behind him, was watching but not saying anything. And just letting the boys hit balls. And I said, that is such a quintessential thing. That's exactly what my dad did for me. And I think when you're just introducing kids to the game, that's the way you should do it. Do not overcoach them. True. And one other thing that I know is important to you is the targets have to be proper. You know, oh, they were. They had really good targets that were tilted towards you with yeah. real grass and a flag in the middle. And, yeah, it was, it was a good range. I, my only thought was, Ron, man, I hope he's making money. I guess he's making money because it's still open. But sure. it, well, it, I, 
yeah. I saw your post on I saw your post on Instagram, and I immediately then read below to see what the guys had commented because I knew you'd get a lot of your Wisconsin folks that commented. Oh, good, you're on my IG page. By the way, hit me of up at Zabe on Instagram. I'm trying to get my Instagram game uh, up and going. So yeah. Yeah, well, you did, and then you've got a lot of the guys that commented below the the Wisconsin crew who verified and that validated. That is a good range. You, yeah, that it is a good range. Yeah. So, all right, let's get to our quick nine and give it a wrap this week. Uh, hole number seven: If every tour pro were given a random set of rental clubs five minutes before teeing off at a tour event, how many strokes would that raise the field average? All right, now we're assuming that they are stiff shafts, they're the proper shafts, yeah. and that the manufacturer is the same, or are we just grabbing yeah. any clubs off the rack? Yeah, whatever they got. <laughs> now, I will put a limit of, say, 10 years of equipment. So you're not going back it further than 10 years in the past for a set. But okay, this is so a random set of who knows what lofts, what shafts, you give them at every- least five. At least five strokes would it would raise the field average. At least. <laughs> wow. I mean, if you well, think about it, if you've got Rom out there with a regular with shaft. a senior shaft, yeah, I mean, he's gonna kill him, kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something tells me they're so good though, is that they would somehow find a way to compensate. I don't know, but yeah, that's probably about right. Five strokes. Hole number eight. If there was a million dollar coin, the size of a dime hidden in the grass on a regulation golf course, which is about 200 acres plus or minus. Could you find it? How many hours would you spend? How many days? How many weeks? How many months? How many years would you spend trying to find it? This is not a race. No one else is looking for it, but it's a dime that's worth a million dollars. Well, this is going back to a childhood obsession of mine, which was a uh, metal detector. I loved using a metal detector when I was a child. If I'm allowed to use You're a allowed metal to detector, use a metal detector. Oh, I'm out there. I'm out there. In fact, I'm going to find a way to hook it up right to the golf cart, and uh, I might even hit the golf ball purposely in areas that I've never hit it, just so I can look over there. But um, and you would, it, I, could, okay. I could find it. Yeah. I think the I had this discussion with our boy Rhodes at Maryland National because typical yeah. typical Rhodes Zabin <laughs> conversation. You know how it started? Get this. How he, many? He broke. No, he broke. How many beers were we having? We had a few beers. Uh, he broke his divot tool, and then in frustration, chucked it into the grass. And I chided him, going, "Oh, so you're just going to let the mowers run over that yes. and ding up their blades?" I said, "Go get that." And he kind of rolled his eyes. He ended up going to get it. And that somehow spurred in my mind. I said, you know, what if there was a million-dollar coin the size of a dime? Could you find it anywhere (laughs) on the course? And we looked at the vast scope of Maryland National, up and down and lots of knee-high grass and woods areas and everything. And the thought was so daunting because it's a dime. And the metal (laughs) detector would help, Ronnie, but it would give you so many false positives. You'd find a million metal things before you found the dime. Yeah. I played yesterday, which of course would be Wednesday. Uh, I played Wednesday, and I, it was a first for me. I found a vape pen, <laughs> and it had it had cookies written on it. That was what it was—a cookies vape pen. So that, so that belonged time. to a woman named Cookie, huh? Yeah, I don't have no idea. Who knows what was in it? Yeah. All <laughs> right. Final question. Last one. Hole number nine. Quick nine. What is the one most common quality about the? Most wonderful people, interesting people that you meet while on the golf course, and you meet a lot of them. What is the one common denominator? 
kindness, kindness and a willingness to open up and to uh, engage while out playing golf together. And Steve, this is a great question for me because I have been spending quite a bit of time down in Pinehurst and uh, I've been down by myself a couple of times and I have been paired up with some of the most interesting human beings on the face of the earth. And I'm convinced of that. And by the third hole, we are all talking about what we do for a living. Mm-hmm. We're all talking about uh, Pinehurst and what it means to us and where our homes are and different things. And I just played with a gentleman named Ed. I'll leave it at that. And Ed, <laughs> this is so unbelievable. Ed is a man who's from Germany who moved to the United States 30 years ago and ran a large corporation in the state of Tennessee. And Ed had a German, thick German accent mixed in with a Tennessee accent. (laughs) And yes, a country German accent. And by the time we finished and exchanged numbers, he he grabbed me by the shoulder, pulled me in close to me, said, I really now want to tell you what I've done, why I came over here. Came over here and he worked for the Rockefellers. He was uh, one of their, he was a gas, he was one of their, he was one of their five gas specialists, uh, natural gas special. Anyway, and and then I met another gentleman in the same round that I was playing with named Steve. And Steve had just retired from the mapping agency, satellite mapping agency up here in Vienna, uh, Vienna, Springfield, Virginia. And I mean, just to be able to talk to these guys and he's telling me stories. He couldn't really tell me much about what he did except for, you know, calling in or calling off strikes because there were kids playing soccer too close to. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah, just fascinating stuff. And you don't get that if you're always just playing with your boys. We all love our games with our guys. And a lot of times, like, oh, I want to play, but I got no one to play with. Go get paired up with somebody. Even if it's not at a nice place like Piners, go to a, a Muni. You'll find interesting, fascinating people. Steve, you've been talking about this for a long time. You you bring this up pretty often. And the people that you have met up in Wisconsin are just, it's its amazing. And I love, I hope you keep sharing it because you, you sharing those stories. It, it really shines a light on what the game of golf is about. Greatest game ever invented. Greatest game it ever is. played. Ronnie, great it to is. talk to you this week. Uh, we'll look forward to next week's show as the Open Championship will be up upon us. And we'll talk then. Thank you, brother. All right, bud. Thank you. See you. There you go. That concludes this week's Capital Golf Gang, presented by Golftum. Thank you very much for listening. And get to Golftum to get all your supplies in golf, whether it's equipment, uh, custom fitting, balls, shoes, bags, and the best apparel selection anywhere. That's Golftum in Tyson's Corner and Golftum Golf on the web. Thanks to the boys for joining me today. Thank you for listening. Have yourself a great weekend. It's hot, but it's summer. Let's go play golf, and we will see you next week. This has been the Capital Golf Gang on the Team 980. If you'd like the gang to visit your home course, send your inquiries to zabe at yahoo.com. That's C-Z-A-B-E at yahoo.com. Or visit the show page at www.theteam980.com. And for free swag, we're all an extra large. So yeah, thanks for the shirts. <laughs>